everyone, and welcome to the Or Delay Pro Cycling Podcast. I'm Whit Yost, and I'm joined, as always, by my good friend and colleague, Joe Lindsay. Joe, how was Germany? Uh, Germany was great. I had lots of schnitzel. Uh, <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, no, Eurobike was good. Uh, e-bikes are coming. They're going to dominate everything. Um, and I don't know. What else do you want to know? Well, I, can we, I mean... I guess we need to start a new list of things to talk about right. when we run out of things to talk about. But can we talk about e-bikes sometime? Because, I mean, I'm an industry guy. Granted, my forte is is talking about and writing about bike racing. But e-bikes, I just don't understand the popularity. I mean, I guess for people who don't feel as fast or as confident on a self-propelled bike. But mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't feel I, – I wouldn't – feel favorably or look favorably upon somebody showing up to my Saturday group ride on an e-road bike. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I th- you know, I think it's, uh, my, my sensibility is, is pretty close to yours where for things like, um, utility, they're, they're great. Uh, they're really fantastic because they get you out of the car in situations where you otherwise might be like, Oh, I'm too tired. It's too hot. You know, that kind of thing. Um, the other day I was out on a ride here in Boulder and I'm cranking up this hill <clears throat> and I passed this group of guys who were like, you know, they're all in like fifties and sixties. so, you know, I should be passing them. Um, and immediately one of them jumps on my wheel and he's on one of these giant e-road bikes and he looks to be in about a seventies. And the guy drops me going uphill. And as he passes me, he says, don't worry, it's an e-bike. You know, so, so there was, he was already conscious of that, you know, kind of that, uh, pejorative look like somebody might be like oh yeah you passed me but you're on an e-bike and my thought was like this is awesome like this guy's a he's 70 some years old he's out riding with his buddies and this is a bike that gets him out to do the kinds of things that he wants to do that's great when it comes to like whatever performance or racing or you know like somebody showing up at the you know the, the wednesday night world's group ride or that kind of thing uh yeah you know that that's maybe a little bit different mm. I guess you're right. I mean, from the standpoint that it gets people on bikes, that's mm-hmm. that's always a great thing. Yeah. Part of it may just come from my own inexperience and the fact that I've never ridden one. So right. for me, I'm kind of curious, like how much when you're riding an e-bike, how much of it is still you riding the bike, you know, it really your depends own on power. the bike, it really yeah. depends on the bike. And like, yeah, am I threatened by a 70 some year old guy passing me on an e-bike? No, like that doesn't bother me. So, and so in that situation, I'm like, hey, more power to you. That's fantastic. All right. But anyway, well, let's speaking, talk about racing. I was going to say, and speaking of e-bikes, why don't we talk about Chris Froome? Oh, boy. There it is. See what I did there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was that was super subtle, Wit. Like, I have no idea. I know. No. Uh, I am the king of subtlety. It's amazing yes, I'm still are. married. No, but um, like the guy is, he's like, if we can use the old cliche, he's a machine, right? Mm. He really is. You know, this is uh, Wednesday, September 6th. I think we originally had hoped that we were going to get together on Monday during the rest day, which would have been after the two summit finishes in Sierra Nevada, but before the time trial, that obviously didn't happen. And yeah, I mean, I think coming, coming out of the time trial, I thought, all right, this wealth is over. Frames got it one. Totally. Um, This isn't even fair. But then today during my lunch break, I clicked in with about two or three kilometers left in the stage. Mm -hmm. And there's Froome suffering like a dog to just, hang on to Mikael Nieve. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, I'm not going to get my hopes up, but I guess there's a part of me that's wondering, is Froome beatable? 
given yeah, what's left? I, I don't know. I mean, like, it, 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 I still come back to the, you know, the uh, Dumb and Dumber quotes. So you're saying there's a chance. Um, when I saw him, you know, when I saw Nibali and that small group go up the road, um, you know, with, with Conador charging off the front, uh, doing his Conador thing, um, I, I had the same thought. I was like, oh, my God. The guy's like, he, he went too hard yesterday. He's paying for it. He's vulnerable. And I feel like I'd be a lot more hopeful about the chances of him, you know, you know of, of Nibali, for example, beating him if the Angleroo stage was tomorrow and not Saturday. Because I feel I like, know exactly what you mean. Because there's, yep. you know, tomorrow there's an uphill finish, but it's not. It's only a couple of kilometers. It's not the kind of thing that's going to trouble for him that much. What we saw was, and going back to our preview, I think we talked about this is when Froome really struggles, when he seems to struggle, is on these extremely sort of short and or not short, but extremely steep and unevenly steep climbs. Uh, the you know the, this Los Machucos climb was absolutely horrible to try to have a team pace because it just ramps up and then to flat and then super up and then less up and then super up again and you know to 20 24 at, at stages it's it's perfect for an attacking tempo style rider like well like alberto conador for example uh and Froome doesn't seem to do well on that and of course anglaru has all of that but he's got two stages between now and then to kind of figure it out so i feel like we need like one more Angleroo stage in there before Angleroo. Yeah, I know. I would agree. And th- this kind of reminds me of the tour when Froome lost time on that summit finish to Perigude. Right. And Again, you and I were super talking steep. about what was going to happen. It was super steep, hard to set a tempo because they finished the climb of the Col de Parasord, mm-hmm. kind of flattened out, went downhill, and then a super short jam up to the summit, up to the finish. Right. But again, it was one of those things where I, I think I think Froome had time to recover mm-hmm. and and collect himself before the next um, the next dangerous stage. So yeah, I mean tomorrow's finish isn't really going to challenge him too too much. It could. I mean anything can happen. Anything and and at possible. this rate, if you're Vincenzo Nibali, I mean you'll take 15 seconds or 20 yep. seconds on a finish like tomorrow right. to shorten the gap to maybe under a minute for Saturday on Anglaru. But yeah, I mean, I still think Froome will somehow manage to hold on. I think right. it'll be a lot closer than it looked like it was going to be mm-hmm. after the time trial. After yesterday's TT, sure. Um, but yeah, I think he's going to win his second, yeah. his second Grand Tour of the year and <clears throat> the, ruin bike racing. <laughs> wah, wah. Uh, the thing, the two things that I pick out are that um, today's result uh, does give Nibali some hope. Um, that he was able to drop for him uh, for the, basically for the more or less the first time in the race, at least since stage three. Um, and that prevents the next three stages from being just a slog, which is great. Uh, the other thing I would say is that there is no rider who Froome, they're the only rider who Froome would be less comfortable with having, you know, having just a 113 lead on going into the Angleroo uh, would be Conador. I think Conador and Nibali are the two guys that would that, that concern him the most uh, in terms of their abilities and their confidence and that kind of thing because they won't rattle. Um, 
and they're not scared of him. Um, Conador obviously is still too far out of it. Today's, you know, today's result aside, there's no, you know, I, I don't hold out hope for some sort of grand raid on stage 20 that delivers him, you know, a come from behind Vuelta win and he rides off into the sunset kind of thing. Um, but it, what today did was sort of put a little bit of suspense back into those next three stages. Yeah, and I think that to me, if you're Vincenzo <coughs> Nibali, Alberto Contador is maybe your best ally right now because oh, yeah. he can sort of serve as that, you know, super domestique that can go up the road, you know, put other guys um, on the defensive, particularly because, you know, Contador, yeah, while I, I think it's impossible for him to take the red jersey, he's still within a great chance of getting himself onto the podium, which considering how he started this Vuelta would be a really great achievement for him in his final race. Yeah. So I was just um, going to say, like, Conor Roar is what – he's what now? 334. <clears throat> 334 behind, behind. At the end of stage three, when Froome took took uh, the red jersey for the first time, Conor Roar was three minutes and ten seconds behind. So since then, he's lost a whopping 24 seconds in the rest of the race. So – you know, at least pretty amazing way. considering how tough this race has been. Absolutely. But yeah, at this point, like, no, <coughs> he doesn't get three thirty back on Froome on one day. That's just not going to no. happen. So, um, I mean, let's hear it for team sky, right? They uh, sort of like the Bronx cheer maybe, but, um, but Vootpoles and Mikkel Nieve in particular have been doing incredible work for Froome. Um, you know, this this whole race has been about Sky's dominance as a team, effectively. They've got, you know, Pools is in 8th overall, Nieves in 15th overall. And do you think about that in context of this relentlessly hilly Vuelta and the fact that they're, you know, that, that they're playing pure support roles? That's that's remarkable to me. Yes, I mean, but, but it's remarkable, yet it's not remarkable given what we've seen from Team Sky. It's I mean, not remarkable this is, for Sky is what you're saying. It's not right? remarkable for Sky, right. yeah. I mean, it's definitely, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't. I don't know how to say this without making it sound like I'm implying that they're doping because I'm not. I'm, I'm, th- there is no implication to this whatsoever, but it's just definitely defeating to watch these guys dominate the races the way that the way that they have been i Mm -hmm. mean nieve rode the tour and he seems you know fresher for it um yeah somehow didn't yeah somehow whoop pools didn't ride the tour so okay i would expect that he would come into the vuelta Mm -hmm. you know fresh and 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 ready to not only support Froome but maybe finish where he did but Mm -hmm. but the fact that Froome, as you pointed out has essentially has been in red since stage three Mm -hmm. in in a race this challenging this difficult i mean I, I mean, Froome to me seems stronger now than he was at the Tour de France. Yeah, I, I had that thought today when I was watching where I was like, is it, did he sort of plan this Tour Vuelta double as, you know, the same way that, you know, Quintana, for example, tried to plan the Giro Tour double? And this was all along was a second plan top, and he's actually somehow fitter now than he was in July. I think he is. I really, I really think he is. I, I think that he somehow managed to win the Tour de France, yet use that as training for the Vuelta, mm-hmm. which is extraordinary. Absolutely extraordinary. Um, 
and so I, on on one hand, I mean, hats off to Team Sky. Hats off sure. to Chris Froome. I, I mean, to win two Grand Tours in a season. And, and okay, mm-hmm. he hasn't done it yet. But, right. But but to be on the verge of winning two Grand Tours in a single season <clears throat> is 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 impressive. I mean, we've had we've had lots of guys who win one and then podium in another, but to mm-hmm. actually win them, particularly you know, the tour is the tour. That that's always going to be the hardest and most prestigious. But right. this tour of Spain super difficult and this list i mean look at the riders he's defeating you know nibali um zacharine you know yeah kreuzweg uh, like there's some good guys here chavez i mean chavez has been such a disappointment for me um yeah i know he was looking really good that first week or 10 days and then since then he's just kind of faded so but you know when you look at what's interesting to me is you know like nibali is 116 back right now but as you go down the GC, like, the gaps just open wider and wider and wider until, you know, at 10th place, you've got David De La Cruz from Quickstep. He's a full 10 minutes down. And then in 20th place, you've got Darwin Puma, who is almost uh, three-quarters of an hour down. 43-48 yeah, Like, and he's in 20th overall. It's like, uh, and that that's like, he's having, you know, a good good race from a GC standpoint. But, you know, it's certainly not bad, and he's still supporting Munchies, but... You know, it's totally anonymous, and he's in twentieth overall. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I don't know. Do you think Sky is strangling racing? Yes, in in I guess in two ways, and I and 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 I think this is going to lead <coughs> into other conversations. I mean, mm-hmm. certainly on the road. You know, I mean, they they metaphorically strangle the race from happening. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. if it, if it weren't for guys like Alberto Contador, you know, I, I, I don't know what we, I don't know what we'd see. I mean, guys try to attack. I mean, I give credit to Vincenzo Nibali. I mean, a couple times mm-hmm. he's tried to put in a move, but I don't think the climbs have been very well suited to the kind of attacks that he's put down. But uh, when you've got Woot Pools, when you've got Mikel Nieve, when you're in the mm-hmm. tour and you've got Mikel Landa and Mikel Kwiatkowski and Mikel Nieve, I, yeah. I mean, it, it's impossible for these guys to do anything. Um, and that, I think, goes back to the money. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they they strangle the race because they're able to strangle the job market by just inundating people with with money. So, mm-hmm. I mean, when you're able to buy the riders that they're able to buy, yeah, it just, I mean... <clears throat> I mean, were you at all surprised that, that, that it was announced that, that they were going to sign Egan Bernal? I... Like, oh, gosh, <laughs> like a Colombian who just won the Tour de l'Avenir got signed by Sky. Kel surprise. And then, and then um, you know, Pavel Sivakov, who's another talented right. under 23. And then what's his, Halderson or Halverson, mm-hmm. the young sprinter. And, well, and, and, and De La Cruz. Chris Lawless. And I De mean, La you've Cruz. got a guy yeah. who's, who's 10th overall in the Vuelta, and next year he's going to be writing support for Froome. Yep. Not, you know, not like, oh, David, you know, here's your shot at being a Grand Tour leader, you know, for, for twenties for 2018. He's like, no, I'll go to Sky and ride tempo for, you know, maybe maybe they give him a shot at the Giro or something like that. But, you know, I don't know. It's um, it, when you look at the, at the riders that that team signs, it's, you know, it is sort of insurmountable. And I have to imagine how it feels to be a rider on another team. You know, I I, I think back to the 90s when you would hear stories about guys who were essentially just leaving the sport because they weren't willing to dope. Mm -hmm. And they 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 just they couldn't keep up with the riders that were 
that were using EPO and, mm-hmm. and, and how it literally created, you know, two speeds in the race. Mm-hmm. And you have to wonder if you're somebody like anybody who's not on Team Sky who just looks over to them and is like, how am I ever going to be able to compete? I mean, I'm as talented as Chris Froome is, right. but my team is never going to be able to sign the kind of riders and give me the kind of support mm-hmm. that I need to defeat them. Right. Well, and if the other thing that I, I guess the thing that really grates on me the most about this <clears throat> is the sort of what I would call a sort of a sense of arrogance that seems to emanate from Sky about it. Um, you know, Froome gets a lot of credit for being a nice guy, but but he's uh, he can be a pretty um, I don't know uh, how. To, he, I don't know. I'm trying to search for the for the word that I want to use here, but but <clears throat> he can be pretty ruthless, I guess is what I'd say. Um, you know, the other day there was a, a moment in the in the Vuelta where Cannondale went to the front, and sometimes Cannondale goes to the front for very strange reasons. I don't really understand why they race the way that they do. They were at the front racing hard and took some of the pressure off Sky, and at the finish, Froome said something to the effect of, you know, uh, you know, it was nice to see Cannondale out there, you know, at the front. We don't see that from them too often. You know, I mean, it was like the most like backhanded compliment possible. Um, and then he was, <clears throat> you know, again, in reference to Cannondale, he was asked about, you know, the fact that the team has come out now with news, you know, that that uh, prospective sponsor has backed out and they're, you know, basically looking for a sponsor to replace them or they will fold. They're crowdfunding, all of this kind of stuff. And Froome was asked, as he was at the tour, about this issue of salary cap. Should the sport have a salary cap? And the answer he gave was like, I was just like, you know, like this is absolutely defies every principle of economics and sports psychology that I know. He, his, his reply, and I'm paraphrasing here, was that a salary cap would be bad for cycling because if teams had a salary cap, then riders and teams would be less incentivized to win. Yeah, that was a head scratcher. I was like, wait, I'm sorry. So you're saying that if everybody's capped, 20 million euro, just throw a number out there. Uh, and, you know, there might be teams under that, but they can't spend more. Then somehow the Tour de France is not going to be as interesting to them. That they won't, yeah. the guys won't train hard, that they won't race hard. Like, I just didn't, I, if, if I'd been at the Vuelta, I think I would have just literally put the microphone back in Chris's face and, and repeated that back to him and said, so you're saying that if teams are on a level playing field for money, that they won't care as much about winning. Is that, do I have that right? <laughs> I, yeah, I mean... It, it, it was really mind-boggling when he said that, you know, comparing it to communism. I mean, that was just <clears throat> right. like, whoa, Chris, come on. Like, go back to go back to trying to be a nice guy, you know, that, right. that, 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 that sometimes actually gives people a desire to defend you against claims of doping and, and shady business and stuff like that. It yeah. just, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> the, the other thing that's lost in all this, and I guess I'll go back to the under-23 riders, you know, Bernal and, and Sivakov and right. the rest is Sky doesn't do a good job of developing young talent. Sergio Hanau. Hmm. Is that your counter argument or? No, no, that that's my example. Like, yeah, I, I guess. Yeah. I, but mean, I mean, he's had obviously he has had all of the passport issues, which could suggest that his performance, you know, back at at Colombia's Passion and, and Gobernacion was, was due to something else, but, like, he won the GC at Paris-Nice this year. 
He spent this year. He spent five years on. Sorry, uh, six. This is his sixth season on Sky, and yeah. that's his basically like his first pro win as a world tour rider. So yeah, like, and that's where I, I I would love to I'd love to hear the rationale of the young riders that are signing for them. It's like mm-hmm. okay, Bernal. Um, which Grand Tour did they tell you they were going to let you try and win sometime <laughs> in the next three to five years? Right. Behind David Dela Cruz, behind Voot Poles, behind, you know, Michael Nieve. <clears throat> you know, like, yeah, why do I you mean, think Michael Landa left? Exactly. Right. Exactly. <clears throat> I mean, and I guess Mikhail Kwiatkowski is lucky because he's really their, their only and most talented I shouldn't say only, but he's by far their most talented one-day mm-hmm. classics-type rider. So right. he's going to get carte blanche in those races. But Sivakov, uh, I mean, yeah. um, the the sprinter Hal- Halderson. I mean, wh- like, wh- what you really you really think Sky's going to bring four lead-out riders to the tour in three three years from now, so right. you can try to win four stages in a green jersey? So I right. guess I just don't. I mean, obviously it's money. I mean, there these guys. Yeah. And sure, if if you're if you come from a culture or a background in which you've never really seen this amount of money before, I guess it's tantalizing. But not only does it rob us of seeing competitive racing now, but I feel like Sky is also cheating us out of watching some of these young great mm-hmm. talents develop and become champions in their <laughs> own right. Absolutely, and even the not so young guys. Like I look at a guy like Poles. You know, he's 29. Uh, he turns 30 on uh, October 1st, apparently. And he's signed with Sky through 2019, so he's not going anywhere. But, you know, he won Liege-Bastogne-Liege last year. And as you point out, like, Kwiatkowski is their number one guy for the one-day classics. You know, now that Kwiatkowski's on the team, I don't necessarily see Poles getting a whole lot more shots at that kind of stuff. Um, so what's his rationale for staying? Why, money. you know, money, right. So it's, uh, I don't know. I, um, I've, I just feel like that they've, that, that it's gone from doping to dollar doping. And, yes, exactly. Exactly. And that, that is, and that it's really sort of strangled the, uh, spontaneity and the unpredictability out of the sport and stage racing at least. Yeah. You know, thank God they haven't got their classics game wired on, but, um, but it's, yeah, it's, you know, I, <clears throat> it makes, uh, I, I feel like it makes it tough for anybody who's not a Sky fan to enjoy the sport because you sort of end up like figuring out like, okay, what are the scraps we're going to pick up? Like earlier this week, Froome was asked, like, if you were one of your competitors, how would you try to beat Sky? And he laughed and said, go for stage wins. And there's that arrogance again, but it's also, you know, sort of indicative of like, yeah, well, uh, you're not going to beat me. So go for stage wins because that's what's left. Well, I mean, and, and, and I, I love the dollar doping <clears throat> idea because it reminds me a lot of the, you know, the tours that Lance Armstrong was winning. If, mm-hmm. if you weren't a fan of Lance Armstrong and his narrative as, as a cancer survivor, it was easy to look at the tour back then and be like, oh, well, of course you're going to win the tour when you've got, you know, Roberto, Roberto Harris, Harris, you know, yeah. Floyd Landis, Tyler Hamilton, all those guys. Victor Hugo and, Pena, yeah, all these guys. Yeah. 
and 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 <clears throat> and and certainly a lot of that was because of the the dollar signs Absolutely. that they were throwing at people. And it was interesting because you know Conador came out uh, with the opposite side of this and 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 said you know yeah I would like to see a salary cap of you know and he threw out a, a, a figure of like fifteen million euros for rider budget, um, which uh, you know I don't know that 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 was considered at all or if he was just like grabbing a grabbing an amount out of the air um it's not an unreasonable amount but it's you know but who knows how much thought went into that and who pops up on twitter predictably criticizing that as like you know he said uh, lance said something like you know oh yeah sure now that you're ready to retire you're in favor of a salary cap and i kind of thought a stay the f out of it (laughs) you know b a salary cap would have been a good idea in your day too and see okay like so the guy's ready to retire does that mean he's wrong like i you can absolutely read that as a alberto got his and now that he's getting out he wants to make life more equitable for the dudes left behind but i don't know like nobody had anybody ever asked alberto conador about his thoughts about a salary cap before this like who who knows that this is a new position for him you're right. I mean, I, I, it's, it's funny. I'm, I'm doing a lot of self-reflection right now because when I saw that Alberto said that, hate me if you want. But my first thought was, well, that's convenient time to speak. Yeah, out and that, that was Lance's Cap, point. Mm, that was Lance's um, point. It was a convenient time for you to get religion. But uh, what I'm saying is, I don't know if he'd just gotten religion. I will say that, like all other writers, that if he, if it was a position he's held for a long time, he sure didn't exactly pipe up about it. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's definitely disappointing, and it mm-hmm. definitely changes the tenor of 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 being a cycling fan right now. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. it's not fun to go into a Grand Tour, especially because those those I mean, there's something special <laughs> about a Spring Classic and and the excitement of a one day race, mm-hmm. but there's also something about three weeks of excitement, and to have that muted in the middle of the first week. And just have it consistently pounded in. Yeah. Like, yeah. There, you know, there's nothing these guys are going to do. There's nothing right. anybody can do. There's nothing anybody can do. Well, it's it just. <clears throat> right. It's and not the, fun. So, what was the most enjoyable Grand Tour of this year for you to watch? The Giro. Yeah. Absolutely. Because it was unpredictable. Yeah. Because you had this back and forth between. Tom Dumoulin and, you know, Naira Quintana with, you know, with guys like, you know, Thibaut Pino kind of hanging around in the background. It was like, <clears throat> you got up every day, even in the third week, and it was like, what's going to happen now? And that was, it made for really enjoyable racing because there wasn't, and you know, there were strong teams for sure. You know, Movistar was very strong, which they're, as an aside, they're like nowhere in the Vuelta, which is strange. Um, but... Nobody dominated the way that Sky did. And the Giro always has kind of has that character. So I'll be really interested to see if, you know, if Froome can knock, can knock off this Tour of Walter double, if he turns his attention at all to the Giro, either as a standalone or as, you know, uh, as three of the best bike racers in the world have tried to win the Giro Tour double the past three years. None of them have done it. I'm going to try my hand at it. Um, I wonder... How far does Sky's dominance extend? Does it extend to something like the Giro, which is just kind of a, it's its own thing, right? It is its own thing. <laughs> I don't think we will see Froome do that until Froome wins a fifth 
mm-hmm. or sixth tour. Yeah. I don't think he's going to jeopardize tying and breaking that record um, by trying to win the Giro. So, right. So, and by then, I think it'll be too late for him to win the <laughs> Right, because if he, let's say he gets his fifth next year and then says, I'll try the Giro Tour double in 2019, he'll be 33, uh, you know, at that point. And, you know, who knows whether or not that'll happen, just based on the sort of well-documented decline in Grand Tour racers in their, you know, in their mid-30s. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. It, it just comes back to, for me, that, that the Giro was was really enjoyable to watch because it was like those one day races where it's like, you never knew what was going to happen. And that, that is one thing that I love about classics racing over grand tour racing is there is no chance to get up tomorrow and try it again. Like you got to leave it all right there, whether it's Paris Roubaix or Milan San Remo tour of Lombardy, you know, whatever. It's like, you got one shot at it and things can go right and things can go wrong. But I, I think that's part of why, one day racing has proved a lot harder for Sky to excel in is because they really do best with this sort of steady accretion of, you know, uh, you can call it the marginal gains philosophy, but they, they just basically like overwhelm you with strength, you know, and overwhelm small mistakes to the point where over time the aggregate accumulation of their strength just dominates. Yeah. And so... <clears throat> But yeah, I, I mean, you can't you can't overcome a you know a, a pace car whose oil pan is leaking and right. streaks oil over the center of the cobbles on sector eighteen. Right. And you, you, you know, Sky Sky can't predict that. They can't simulate that in training. Four crashes and they can't, in two flats. You know, whatever. Yep. Yep. Or you know, whatever a rainy descent off of the you know the Cote de Saint Nicolas or something. <laughs> you know, like anything like that. Like yeah, it's like. <clears throat> they do best with repeatability. And in that sense, the Fuelta has worked out very well for them because there's just so many climbs. It hasn't, the, the only thing that hasn't worked well is, as we were talking about, is these super steep climbs where Froome just doesn't seem to, he seems to be a little bit more vulnerable there. And I still, like, it still kind of gets me that, that teams either haven't figured that out yet or don't trust it or something, but, but, other than Conor today and, you know, a little bit from Nibali and Miguel Ana Lopez, we didn't see a lot of aggressiveness from other teams and other riders on some of the steeper stuff here. I think they're just holding on. You it's know, possible, I mean, yeah. You, like the tour. You, you said during the preview that that that, that this is going to be a race of attrition. And yeah. when you look at somebody <laughs> like Esteban Chavez, who granted mm-hmm. there was a time trial, a very long time trial involved, yeah. has dropped from the podium to outside the top 10. I yeah. think that there are a lot of guys who are just not even racing to finish on the podium. They're literally just holding on. Yeah. You know? I mean, Wilco Kelderman, I think we should at least mention. I mean, yeah, he's, he's had a pretty <clears throat> impressive week. Uh, um, excellent back half to this, to this Vuelta. Absolutely. Zacharine has, has, you know, has improved over time as well. Yeah, and, so. and, and it'll be fun to see those two fight it out. I mm-hmm. think ultimately Zacharine might pip him. You know, he's only 12 seconds behind Kelderman, so mm-hmm. he could certainly put himself onto the podium, which yeah. would be his first podium finish <clears throat> yeah. in a Grand Tour. Um, Fabio Aru, your pick to win, I think. Not so um, much. <clears throat> not so much. Well, doing better than my pick to win now. I still uh, true, Chavez. but um, he's not even the best rider on his own team. I mean, I, would, I wouldn't be totally unsurprised to see Lopez win the Angleroo stage. Yeah. Yep. 
I'd say Lopez or Conador would be my picks for that, just because Conador wants to go out in a blaze of glory, and it's a short, steep stage. It's you know, it's the climb is you know well suited to him and that kind of thing. But but yeah, I mean those you know good for Kelderman, good for Sumweb. Holy cow! I mean look at that. Like here they are. They've got the Giro winner Tom Dumoulin. They've got Wilco Kelderman, you know, third overall at the at the, at the Vuelta. They've got you know young guys like Sam Omen kind of coming up. It's sort of you know to me it's very much like an Orca Scott story where it's like. A team that, you know, they have a, a good budget and stable support, but they're not Sky, they're not BMC, they're not Katusha, and they've just done an excellent job of, of uh, gathering and developing talent. Yep. Yeah, I mean, in the tour, I mean, Warren Barguil and, mm-hmm. and Michael Matthews. I mean, right. it's funny, I was thinking about that the other day, you know, like, are they the team of the year? I, I mean, obviously Sky will be up there, but... I mean, Sunweb has, especially, I, th- I feel like when, when, when they lost Marcel Kittle, you know, there, I think there were lots of moments that maybe it would have been easy to say, oh, look at Sunweb, they're going to sort of be uh, mm-hmm. the more continental of the World Tour teams. Right. But, I mean, they make really smart moves, and yeah. they develop. They develop guys really, really well. Even so. replacing Dagenkolb, you know. They lost, they had, at one point, they had uh, this amazing roster of sprinters, and they've totally reshaped the team now. So, you know, and I hate good for them. They've done a fantastic job of it. Yeah. So. Yep. <clears throat> um, teams. <laughs> uh, a team that has traditionally done a decent job of identifying and grooming talent uh, might not be here next year, and that's Cannondale. Um, kind of a shocking announcement last week, huh? Shocking. Um. It's funny. I felt like I wasn't as surprised given as the last time been. we spoke about it <laughs> right. after the tour. You know, I mean, because as you pointed out, I think everybody and, and, and I allowed myself to be to be mesmerized by it as well. You know, I think Oath was announced as the savior. But I think as we learned, it really wasn't Oath. And, 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 and you pointed out in the press release that Oath was described as the, the team's new media, partner. digital media right. partner, right. which doesn't say title sponsor. Nope. So clearly when when everybody was talking about the team's future being secured, there there was a silent backer who hopefully was going to sign a deal that obviously hadn't been signed. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, now, you know, we find, we find out that it's not going to happen. The team is maybe set to fail. There's a crowdfunding campaign going on. Um, but I'm not feeling so good about how this is going to work out. And I think it's only a matter of time before one rider announces that he's leaving mm-hmm. before many... St- I, I, have, I imagine that the riders have a have a group chat going right now where they're all talking to one another and nobody wants to be the first one to sign with another team. But yeah. Hey man, it's early September and uh, you know, skies sky seems to be pretty, pretty set for the next season. So, I mean, th- these guys are going to have to start thinking about themselves. Yeah. Um, if, if <clears throat> Vauders can't, can't come up with what, $7 million he says. He yeah. Needs, seven million that, at least that's that. his goal. Right. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, Rigoberto Uran came out and said that he was going to give them at least, you know, one, maybe two weeks before he started talking with other teams. Um, that, I think that deadline expires Saturday. Yeah. I was going to say that's about two weeks ago. <clears throat> and, and so, you know, we've already seen Andrew Talansky retire. 
which is a somewhat surprising announcement given that he's just 29 years old and had had a couple of down years but seemed to be you know coming back he you know he broke their win uh, or their uh their drought of wins and world tour races with his stage win on mount baldy at the tour of california um, he was fifth at the vuelta last year yeah I mean, he not, was not, exactly not, he was not you know too he far was long ago top 10 again the vuelta last year so you know it was obvious that that he had still had capability uh hasn't really commented much on why he retired if the team's financial situation plays into it um but he's you know a good example of a a, a tweener rider who's going to be going to be in difficulty if the team folds because uh, on a team like slipstream he's a top lieutenant or a leader in in races you know he gets some freedom to race but if that team folds then he has to find somewhere to go and fit in uh probably as a support rider because a lot of the leadership structures are still are, are already set if you're rigoberto uran i think you can find a leadership role if you're rusty woods you can probably find uh, a support slash leadership role just because of you know what he's doing in the Volta right now if you're Pierre Roland then you know obviously I'm sure that there's a French a team, French team will that's going to make room for you if you're Andrew Talansky you know like what five years ago there was a premium on American riders and people would pay whatever they could for them that's gone you don't see that anymore and so you know it's it's entirely possible that part of Andrew's decision making was looking at that I don't know but you know, so he's out now. Um, and yeah, like you said, then maybe there's like a WeChat group going uh, where everybody's talking about, hey, like at what point have you decided that this just isn't going to happen? And we love JV. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. But we like writing for this team, but we're not, you know, we can't go down with the ship. Yeah, and I, I think another bad sign, at least for the riders, let alone the program, is Sepp van Marka. I mean, Sepp van Marka said in the press uh, maybe about a week ago that he wasn't going to wait around. And, mm-hmm. and basically, you know, he's got to look out for himself. Mm-hmm. Yet he hasn't been announced as going anywhere <clears throat> right. yet. Right, he hasn't been signed. Th- there really isn't much of a market. So unless somebody's going to be creating a team out of nothing, uh, I mean, there are definitely going to be some riders if this team folds that are either out of work or whose work situation has changed dramatically. Yeah, meaning they're... Joe Dombrowski, welcome to Jelly Belly. Right. I mean... Rally sport. You know, like rallies is yep. moving to pro-continental level. They would love to pick up a guy like Joe. And the thing is, that might be his best offer. Yeah. And so, yep. um, yeah, I, I agree. There, There's guys who will find themselves in a much different work situation next year if they are lucky enough to get a job. My guess is that, you know... <clears throat> Somewhere between three to five of them will get a job that they like. Another ten to you know to fifteen will get a job that they can live with, and another ten or so will be no longer pro cyclists. You know, it's funny how you bring up rally and the pro continental, the 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 American pro continental teams or continental teams that are moving up to pro continental because it's going to be three of them. It's going to be rally. Um, United Health. Uh, well, right now they're Action Hoggins Bermans, but I think they're yeah. going to become Hoggins Bermans Action. Yeah, I think that, and that then, title sponsor flips. <clears throat> and then, then Holoesco. Oh, Holoesco, um, right. So joining Holoesco. Joining, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe, maybe Slipstream's demise is the best thing that could happen to those teams because they will need to expand their rosters in order mm-hmm. to meet the Pro Continental. And as you and I pointed out, for Holoesco and Hoggins Bermans, 
those are developmental teams. Mm-hmm. Like they're, they're they would benefit from signing a few key veterans to sort of show their show their riders the ropes and maybe help the teams get some invites to some major mm-hmm. European races. So yeah, maybe you know maybe this is a situation <laughs> where we have to say goodbye to Slipstream, but in the process we're giving birth to the you know three new international programs that 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 maybe wouldn't have been able to develop as quickly if mm-hmm. those riders that they signed didn't become available when slipstream went under. Right. I don't know. It's wishful thinking, but I guess I'm just trying to I'm I'm trying to find a bright side. I'm trying to find something right. to to, no, to to feel good about in I, all this. I think that's a good point actually and you know the, as Action Hoggins Berman in particular moves up to Pro Continental, I don't think they can sustain a roster just off of developmental guys. I just, you know, there's a lot of talent out there, but I think in terms of getting the results that you need and 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 then also, as you said, like having just the pure development, they're going to be racing in a different class of races next year <clears throat> if they get that because they'll be in more World Tour events. Um, I think they would definitely benefit from having a few older riders. And so you can easily see a situation where, you know, Joe Dombrowski, a proud graduate of the Action Hoggins Berman development team, goes back to train the next generation of racers, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I think that'd be really interesting. The question then is, <clears throat> what happens from there? Um, with losing Slipstream, you're losing a team that, for American racing at least, is currently home to six U.S. racers. Uh, that's twice as many as is on track or BMC. Um, and it really is sort of the most American of the world tour teams, uh, which is not necessarily saying a lot anymore because of how international teams are. But with that said, given that there is no longer a sort of premium on American racers, um, if a team like Slipstream doesn't exist, how hard does it come, how much harder does it come become for those guys who are on Auction Hoggins Berman or on Holowesco right now to make that step up to the world tour. How do they find Orca Scott Sunweb? How do they, you know, how do they do the Alexei Vermeulen thing and go to Lotto NL Jumbo? I actually think, and we've been discussing, I guess what we can call the plight of American cycling or the current status of American cycling. I think that the... <laughs> the promotion of, of, of these three programs, Rally, Holowesco, and Hoggins Bermans. I actually think that's the best thing that could possibly happen because I don't think that a lot of young American riders have had an intermediate step from action to the world tour. Yeah. And while, okay, we discovered Joey D at the tour of California. Mm-hmm. All right. He then was signed to Team Sky, and what did he do? You know, Ian Boswell, same right. thing. Um, Lawson Craddock, same thing. Mm-hmm. So, I feel like I feel like it's going to give World Tour teams a better sample size in terms of how they're able to do mm-hmm. in international events, rather than just the Tour of California and the Tour of Utah or or, or the Tour yeah. de Lavenir. <clears throat> so, I mean. I would, we might not see more Americans make it to the world tour, mm-hmm. but we might see more prepared Americans make it to the world tour. And we won't see, you know, and guys like Andrew Talansky retiring in their late twenties. We won't see riders like Adrian Costa maybe get a little burned out and need to take a gap year or gap years. I mean, mm-hmm. I feel like it'll, it'll, it'll allow these teams to be kind of the top sport Vlanderin of American cycling. Right. That, that, <clears throat> 
gives them introduction to some high level racing mm-hmm. while not forcing them to go in over their heads too soon. Yeah. I, I would gently disagree with that because I just don't you can do it violently. It's okay. okay. All right. I'm not, I'll do it violently. Damn it. Um, no, I, you know, situations like Costas or Craddock or, you know, any of these guys, Boswell, who's actually done quite well at Sky. He seemed to have, you know, found a, found a place that was comfortable to him for some time. We'll see how he works out next year with Katusha, which is going to be quite the cultural switch. Um, but I think, <clears throat> you know, this is, this is sort of what happens in sports in general. Somebody, you know, when I mentioned today on, on Twitter, I posted a, a link to a profile I wrote of Talansky back in 2013 for ESPN, you know, when back when he was, you know, 24 years old, up-and-comer, and now he's done. And somebody said, you know, cycling is that sport where riders get better with age. And I, was, I said, be careful because that's confirmation bias. We see the riders who get better with age, the Greg von Avermaets, you know, who who develop slowly over time and get better and better as they get older. But we don't see the guys who dropped out at 25 or who were, you know, had two years at the World Tour, went to Pro Continental and then, you know, just left entirely. And Linus Gerdeman would be a great example of somebody like that. Um, we don't see them because they're no longer there. So that kind of stuff is going to happen. Like Adrian Costa, who knows what prompted his decision to, you know, to decide to take a gap year from, for whatever, from, for whatever reason, there's no reason to think that that necessarily wouldn't happen in a different situation. Uh, what I personally hope happens, like if those teams do go pro continental, that they use that status as much to get into more European races as they do as like, going to the Tour of California and saying, all right, we're pro-continental, you've got to select us now. Because everything, everybody I've talked to is, you know, in that world says that races like the TOC are good from a standpoint of visibility, but they don't really do squat as far as convincing World Tour teams that these guys can handle the racing at, at, at the top level. Absolutely, and I <laughs> guess you just made the point I thought I was making, but as usual, you did it in a more articulate way. It took longer to say I, it. I th- I think, I think, yeah, I think the true benefit of the pro continental status is getting them over to Europe more yeah. and getting them into better European races. If the, man, if those um, guys could race something like Pay Vasco, holy shit! Yeah, like exactly. Welcome to the Thunderdome. But if you can survive that, awesome. Like if you, if you come out of there with with some like really just good learning that then you take into the Baby Giro or Ronda Lizard or Tour California or whatever, then. You yeah you might that then that's a learning curve that I think you can get behind. Absolutely, <laughs> I mean why 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 can't Holowesco go to Torino Adriatico? Right. Why can't Rally you know schmooze Christian Christian uh, Prudhomme and um and get their way into Paris? Nice? I mean we mm-hmm. could we could see these things happen. I mean uh, I'm gonna say it if Novo Nordisk can get invites oh, to Mont no. San Remo, yeah. then certainly Axel Merckx and Hagen's Bermans can as well and that's really where we're going to see these guys develop and you know hopefully earn some more earn some more contracts but you're right you know i mean here in the united states the the, um the american football season is starting and it was um cut down day last weekend so we had had, it's a brutal day where, where, where where teams basically tell approximately 40 guys that they're they're out of work that their services um, are no longer required yeah that their services are no longer required <clears throat> and, and there's always so, big names in there too 
always big names. And so I think part of it is, is that with American Cycling, too, we're looking at a very small sample size. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Maybe American Cycling is doing just fine, given the amount of American cyclists mm-hmm. that there are. Yeah. Well, and if there's another silver lining out of Slipstream's collapse, if, if it does come to that, uh, you know, it was notable when they put the announcement out there that there was a lot of what seemed to be very heartfelt support uh, on social media and not just for the people, the writers and the staff involved, but for the organization that, that a lot of people in the sport seem to have genuinely good feelings for them as an organization. They will be missed more than would some other teams if they suddenly fold it. Um, and maybe that's the catalyst that the sport really needs to sit down and start to talk about things like a salary cap to talk about things like revenue sharing, um, and making a more sustainable business model for the sport. Um, I think that the other side of that is that, like, in a way, it's a really good message to all teams and all riders that cycling is not as big or stable or strong as you think it is. And all of this stuff can, like the, 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 the you know, the, the magic pumpkin that turn, turns into a chariot, I guess, if you want to use the Cinderella, you know, metaphor, that, like, that can turn back into a pumpkin at midnight real damn quick. And... All you know, you can put 80 people out on the street out of work in a moment when a sponsor decides that they don't want anything to do with it, and that's a really good reminder as we talk about people signing five million euro contracts and that kind of thing. It's like, hold on, let's not get ahead of this. I think, I think cycling sort of lived beyond its means for a while, and it would be a good thing if it came back down to a more sort of realistic, sustainable level that doesn't include two-story, expandable, unfoldable uh, race centers that, that, you know, RVs that can be driven and set up at races. Embarrassing. It, it, it really is embarrassing. I mean, and I hope... I hope that I hope that Chris Froome and 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 the folks at Team Sky can look at themselves in the mirror, you know, when when they're cashing their checks, especially when you know really good people potentially are going to be unemployed, um, very soon possibly. So, I, yeah, I mean, you know, I think it comes back to what you said: the dollar doping. I, I mean, I I think I'm 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 over talking about the doping that team sky does that can't be detected. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm finally on board with talking about the one that we can see right before our eyes. Plain and sight, they can't right? Deny. Yeah. And, and they that, can't deny. And that they yeah. don't even try to apologize for. No. You know, then they, they rub say, in our faces. They say, well, we're better at this, you know? And it's like, yeah, I, you know, it, it's, it's really interesting because they have, so far, they have existed with one title sponsor their whole time since they started in 2009. <clears throat> Just like it was, you know, it's been interesting to watch, uh, you know, races like the the USA Pro Challenge or, or, you know, teams like Slipstream try to navigate replacement sponsors. What happens when Sky decides that they don't want to back that team anymore? Because right now, everything's hunky-dory. But when you turn around and you're pitching that sponsorship package, you're not pitching a $7 million package like Cannondale is. You're pitching $20 million. And that's a lot harder to find. Even if you're like, oh, yeah, we won five of the last seven tours to France, whatever, that's a lot harder to find a company that says, oh, yeah, this is actually the, the numbers work out here. So they could easily find themselves in a really bad position because they're overspending. Yeah. So yeah. we'll see. 
That's a, that's a great point. That's a really good point. They and and they better hope that they are scandal free. Uh, yeah. You want to talk about that something budget, that rolls up a yeah. team real quick. So, yep. guys like you know guys like James Murdoch. Like I don't necessarily think that he gives this team much thought at all. Um, but he sure will if it's splashed all over the London Times. Yeah. You know, for uh, whatever doping scandal, motor and a bike. Uh, you know, anything like that. So. I don't know. We'll see. But and what are they going to do too? I mean, you know, let's let's not forget that they've they've done what they've done with British riders, mm-hmm. and I mean, in terms of winning the Tour de France, what happens if they can't find a British replacement? Yep. To Chris Froome. That's a you know, you look at their roster and you're like, who is that? It's not Peter Kenna. You know, like I guess maybe they could raid Orca for one of the Yates boys. But when you look at, like, who's going to be the next Chris Froome, which is something that they need to figure out in about two years, the, yeah. there's not a whole ton of people who jump to mind. And that team is very much, <clears throat> maybe as much or more so than teams like Astana, is a national pride project. Because, let's see, they've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight British riders on that team. Um, and a number of whom are older, uh, you know, uh, Ian Standard, Garrett Thomas, um, Froome, of course, um, they're all, you know, they're all guys who are not necessarily going to be around for forever. Yeah, it's got to be a Yates. (laughs) It's it's got to be a Yates. That's, yeah. I don't think I don't think Teo Gogan Hart is going to win a tour. I don't know. He he's young and could surprise me, but yeah, but or you know, it's somebody in the development scene we haven't seen yet, that kind of thing. But yeah, yeah I mean that that's going to be an interesting question to them to figure out is if they can't find a British rider who they can build around like Froome, then what do they do, you know, internally as a team, and how do they pitch that to sponsors? You know, <clears throat> is Team Sky going to be interested in Tom Dumoulin? Nairo. Nairo, of course. Always Nairo. Little Colombians um, who don't win the Tour de France. Mm. Ouch. Sorry. It's okay. It's harsh but true. It's okay. Harsh but true. Harsh so, but true. Anyway. Um, um, before we go, I mean, maybe we should at least mention <laughs> the two Canadian World Tour races. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty similar hilly circuit races that in recent years seem to be pretty good predictors of world um world champions i mean what what are you are you gonna be watching what are you looking for what what are your what are your thoughts on that uh, i'll probably toggle back a little bit between that and the giro uh you know it's it's good for uh gp quebec <clears throat> is on friday which is a uh, you know as good a matchup as you can ask for they don't have to go up against the angler stage and montreal's on sunday so at least there's that um and i don't know i i like quebec better um because it's a hillier circuit it feels to me this year it feels a little bit better match to worlds for instance um and because quebec city is a beautiful place it's just basically it's as close as you can get in north america to feeling european because the city is 400 some years old it's got narrow winding streets it's you know overlooking the you know overlooking the river the saint lawrence it's it's a really gorgeous spot if you ever get a chance to go there you should absolutely make it worth your while um <clears throat> and i feel like maybe that has the best shot of telling us which of these guys are uh, are really 
on forum for worlds um you know the two names obviously that pop up uh, the earliest are sagan and van avermont um who have you know both had success at this race in the past um and are probably your top picks but there's also simon Gerens, there's dumoulin you know there's uh, tim wellens there's all kinds of guys who, you know, I, I really don't know what exactly we're going to see. A number of these guys have been off of racing for a little while now, so it's hard, you know, like Sagan raced the Bink Bank Tour but, uh, and Poland, but other than that, you know, he hasn't raced much since then or since, uh, you know, getting chucked out of the Tour. Um, so, I don't know. We'll see. What do you think? You said it all. I mean, it's always an interesting race. They are beautiful. They are exciting. Um, I do like that we get a start list that's a really good mix of guys. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. you've got Arno Demar and Gasparotto. You've got Rigoberto Uran, Simon Spilak, who's decided he's going to do something other than a one-week stage race. <laughs> um, Oliver Nassen. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, you know, Michael he's, Matthews. he's somebody that... Michael Matthews, yeah. Albacini, lot, lot, just lots of great. If you're a fan of the classics, and if you're a fan of just those kind of aggressive opportunists, mm-hmm. they're, they're they're great races These to watch. Days. And yeah, yeah I, I think that guys that win here will definitely put themselves high on the list for worlds a couple weeks later because the Vuelta, no one, no no one goes to the Vuelta to prep for worlds anymore. Unless I think, I think maybe, this year is too hard. Oh yeah, absolutely too hard. I mean, although I mean, Froome world the for for the world ITT. I mean, I, could you see him yeah. heading from the Vuelta to try and win a rainbow skin suit? Absolutely. Now that I think I could absolutely see, and I could see him just basically soft pedaling the road race if he starts at all. Yeah. So, but and I think there will you know there will be guys who will kind of take that approach, um, to to worlds, but at least out of the Vuelta. But I I view it as and it sounds like you agree that <clears throat> this year's route at least is just too hard to do that and try to survive and use that for training and then recover and peak in time for worlds. Yep. We'll see. We've only got a couple of weeks we'll to see. figure out whether or not whether or not we're wrong like usual. Well, Joe, why don't we call it a call it a podcast there? We can um, touch base again next week, wrap up the Vuelta. Hopefully there'll be some interesting things to wrap up. Talk about Canada. You know, what What else we got going on? Tour Britain. Maybe there'll be something there to talk about. And uh, I guess begin begin our conversation about Worlds. There you go. Sounds like a plan. So, folks, thank you for tuning in. Um, again, he's Joe Lindsay. I'm Whit Yost. This is the Ordelay Pro Cycling Podcast. You can find past episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. Uh, if you want to heckle us, you can do that on Twitter at Ordelaycast or over email, ordelaycast at gmail.com. Thanks a lot for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>